We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Who are we? We are Redemption Church in Plano, Texas. Welcome to everybody in the room, all you beautiful people in the room. And everybody that's joining us online, hello to you. Go ahead and leave us a comment. We're so glad to be with you today. We are in our sermon series. It is the final week of our sermon series. This sermon series is called Greater Reward. Reward. Uh, We want you to know that no matter the season, no matter what your calendar says, no matter the situation of life, you can decide to change your life. And one of those decisions you should make is to achieve greater. The pursuit of greater is not just relegated to January 1st, not just relegated to resolutions or nice little uh, calendar or, or nice little posters that are inspirational with a little cat and it's holding on and it says, hold on, brother, stuff like that. No, you have this time that you can make any time to decide I'm going to achieve greater. And I believe it's God's will for us to pursue greater every day of our life. Uh, Mr. Charles back here was telling us he tomorrow, is it tomorrow? Tomorrow is his 41st wedding anniversary. Let's hear it for that. I want to tell you, Charles, you're, you're a great husband, but you can even be a greater husband. And you can even have a greater marriage. And you can even have a greater love for each other. And you've been married 41 years, but you haven't seen anything yet. We're going to decide we want greater. Somebody say, I decide I want greater. In week one, we told you that greater is possible. And also that it is promised. God has promised you greater. In week two, we taught you that you must live greater. Greater does not come through lip service, but through discipline. And then last week, week three, we discovered that an internal power is greater than an external power. And Jesus wants to be inside you. He wants to be a power source living in you and not just a super suit that you can put on and take off. Amen on that? Today in this last week of this series, I want to talk to you about greater giving. All right, greater giving. Now, everyone, please don't leave because just having a title like that, some people like, Margaret, grab your purse, let's go. A title like that can cause some people to grab their wallet and run out of the room. Uh But I want to make some promises to you right here at the start of this. I promise you this. We're not going to be taking up a special offering at the end of the sermon. I'm not going to try to emotionally manipulate you to, you know, like the Sarah McLaughlin uh, music video with cats looking at it. In the arms of an angel. And I don't even like cats, but I'm like, (laughs) we got to give to these cats. Because, you know, you, 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 you gin up the music there and then you, you, you put on the, the, the right uh, atmosphere and it can emotionally manipulate you to, to, to do something. I'm not doing that today. We're not, we're not taking up a special offering. We're not like going to ask you, hey, but what are you going to give next year? Like a, a giving pledge driver. We're not, we're not doing anything like that. We're not shaking you down for donations uh, for our, our church building fund. You know, that's really important. We're not, we're not doing any of that. We're not even going to post uh, pictures of, of missionaries. 
We're not going to do that. We believe in all of these things. We believe that, that giving is a good thing, but we're not shaking you down today. My promise to you today is that I'm not going to ask you for anything. Is that good enough? Is that good enough? Is that good? All right, I'm not, I'm, I'm not looking for anything from you today. What, what we are talking about today has everything to do with our hearts and our treasures because Jesus teaches us very clearly our hearts and our treasures occupy the same space. Somebody help me. What does he say? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. They occupy the same space. So what we're talking about today has everything to do with heart and treasure. We just celebrated Thanksgiving, and before we could even get through the day, businesses and stores were opening for early Black Friday shopping. In a matter of moments, we went from a celebration of Thanksgiving to God, for family, home, nation, to a materialistic mob hitting the mall. That's us. That's our society. We call that Thanksgiving. We can't get past Thanksgiving enough, quickly enough, to go get stuff. Materialistic mob hits. And you've seen the violence that can take place at a Walmart on Black Friday. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. And that, that, that's the world we're living in. And we have these two beautiful holidays. We have Thanksgiving. We have Christmas. And they're absolutely beautiful holidays. I love celebrating them. Thanksgiving has everything to do with contentment and gratitude. And Christmas has everything to do with receiving gifts of grace and in turn, learning to give grace. That's what those two holidays are about. And right in the middle of it, we're just overcome with, oh my gosh, there is an iPhone 13. And if I don't have that, am I really living? If I don't give the toy that is out of stock, if I don't find a way to be Superman and get the toy for my little kid, then am I really even worth my salt as a parent? Like These are thoughts that are going through our lives. I, I heard that every kiss begins with K. If I don't spend several thousands of dollars on a necklace and, you know, just have that moment that they display on the commercial, you know, am I really any kind of spouse? These are the thoughts that are overtaking us in a, in a, in a season that's supposed to be contentment and gratitude. And it's supposed to be gifts of grace that you receive and that you give, and we're missing it. Can, can, can I get a, an amen on that? Or even a golf clap, we'll take it. We're missing the boat. We're not doing things right. We could do better. These holidays with their beautiful and godly sentiment are overrun with a sense of greed. You can literally, literally feel the greed, and juxtaposed to that, you can have, you know, a little drummer boy playing in the background. You can have away in a manger, no crib for a bed. And in the middle of that, those words, some of the most awful, materialistic, shouting, gross display of the opposite of love, of hatred, is on display at a store near your store. Yeah. In this uh, wonderful time of year, we spend less time reflecting on being thankful and more time spent on receiving gifts, spending spending more and more money, going into debt. I think we need to change that. And over the, the next month, we're going to really reflect on that today. 
Uh, but, but for today, I want to tell you, there has got to be a greater way. There's a greater reward to be found, and we are going to find it. Please turn with me in your Bible or your Bible app. You can just Google Acts chapter 20. We're going to be beginning at verse 32 and reading down. Acts is the history of the New Testament church. There are some bold moments in Acts, and we often preach those. We preach those bold moments. Maybe you can think of some. Is it bold enough that like tongues of fire sat on people's heads? Is that bold enough yet? Is it bold enough that 3,000, 5,000 came to know the Lord? Is that bold enough yet? Is it bold enough that, that people were delivered out of a jail, the jail cell immediately opened and Peter walks out when he's supposed to be killed in the morning? Is it, is it, is it bold enough yet that, the, that a Christian killer named Saul is on his way to kill Christians and he meets the Lord yet? You've heard... All of those preached, haven't you? These are bold stories. I love them, and we're not preaching any of those today. I really was, uh, I was uh, cherry picking. Do you know what cherry picking is? Cherry picking is? It's where you just pick a little bit over here and a little pick over here. And uh, it's really easy to do that as, as a, when you're creating a sermon. It's like, well, I need to say these things. That says it, that says it, that says it. All right, good. We got a sermon. That's just how it goes. But the Lord just, like, he wasn't having any of that this week. And I just, I got just engrossed with this little story in Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 32. I've never, in my mind, heard it preached. I've definitely never preached it. We preach on these moments that seem larger than life, where the gospel is put out on display for entire cities. People are healed, thousands saved. But today I want to preach from a small, private, and intimate setting with the apostle Paul. Paul had been working in Ephesus for three years, but now he must leave. He tells the elders, the inner part of the church, the church that Paul helped found, the very people in front of him are perhaps some of the first people he met when he came to Ephesus and preached to them about Jesus. That is his small congregation for this service that we're about to look in in Acts 20. For three years, Paul had given these people and this community, all his strength, prayer, and tears. He looks to them and says that they will never see his face again. And then Paul gives them one final greeting in these closing moments. Acts 20, verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up, And give you an inheritance among all those that are sanctified. Verse 33. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs. And the needs of my companions. In everything I did I showed you that by this kind of hard work. We must help the weak. Remembering the words The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Verse 36, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. So I wanted 
to read this whole passage to you because I started my week uh, wanting to smash and grab this chapter. You know what a smash and grab is? It's a little, little more coarse way of saying cherry picking. No, literally, I wanted to just smash into this chapter and yoink out the one little phrase I wanted. You know, tis more blessed to give than to receive. And then I was going to go off somewhere else. But this verse, this, this whole story really just grabbed into my heart. And uh, I want, I'm praying today that it would also grab your heart. We often miss out on the context when we just reach for the verse that we want to prove what we already believe. We often miss out on the beauty. We often, we often miss out on what is so uh, unexpected, unexpectedly profound, and the display of humanity in these heroes of the faith, like Paul. We often miss out on the context, and there's a beautiful, loving moment in the context of this passage. Paul takes all the three years of his effort, struggle, and service, and he preaches this final message to them. He doesn't just preach words, but he lived this message for three years. Verse 32, it said, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. These are not just words that Paul is giving. They're not just feel-good words. They're not just, well, it's somebody needs to say something, so I'll, I'll say something here. No, for three years, Paul had been embodying the words he is now saying. He was embodying this message. For three years, Paul had faced uncertainty and attack from the enemies of the gospel. And Paul had lived by God and the word of his grace. How was Paul making it through all this? He would, he's telling you right here. He did it by God and the word of his grace. And it is by God and his grace Paul had received an inheritance among the what? It said among the sanctified. What kind of inheritance? Was Paul rolling in Benjamin Franklin dollar dollar bills here? What, 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 what was he doing here? Was Paul living large or any of these terms that we could throw out today? Uh, can any of us picture Paul maybe taking Instagram selfies in impressive luxury? Can we picture him, you know, he's got a big crowd and he's like, everybody squeeze in. I'm going to put this on the internet. Everyone's going to know what a success I am. Smile, everyone say, Jesus. Can anybody picture Paul doing that? No, of course, of course, they didn't have cell phones, but that's not the attitude of this guy in this, in this phrase, in, in these words here. So what inheritance is Paul talking about? He's talking about an inheritance, but what is this inheritance? I want to tell you that the inheritance is the very people Paul is talking to. He says an inheritance of the sanctified. Paul's reason to brag is not materialistic gain. His reason to boast of God and his word are the people standing in front of him. The sanctified people that God has saved and now are some of his closest wonderful friends. And Paul tells them that God and his word will also give them an 
inheritance. So here's Paul. He has an inheritance. It's right in front of him. And he's also telling them that if you will hold on to God and hold on to his word, you too will have an inheritance. Not a church building. It's a big deal in church world today. But that's not anything that he's talking about. He didn't say, hey, we were able to scrape together some land and we bought some land and we're going to build property on it. Am I against any of that? No, I'm not. But that's not what this is talking about. There's maybe a greater inheritance than that. What do y'all think? What, what, what is this inheritance? An impressive, influential church staff and each one of them's writing a book? No, it's not that. Not a large national following. Not a bunch of people that go, oh, that's pastor so-and-so. None of that. None of that. Not a big book deal or you know, you get the book deal, so then you can get the movie deal now, right? There's, go from church books to church movies. I'm not against any of that stuff. I'm not, I'm not. But I'm going to tell you, that is nowhere in the message of this inheritance. And if we think that these things are inheritance, Paul has something to say to us today. The inheritance is people. People are the treasure. People are the reward. Do you feel that way? Because I think we have a world that doesn't feel that way. I think we have churches that don't feel that way. I think we have churches that really like how they feel when they're in the room and they're like, look at us. We're impressive. Check us out. And meanwhile, there's, you know, a single mother down the row wiping tears, and no one has time for her. No one had time for the person that they drove past on the way to church that was obviously distraught. I'm telling you, we need to rethink what an inheritance is. An inheritance is something that lives on past the life of someone else. I'm telling you, your shoes are not an inheritance. But we're so desperate for shoes. Your cell phone's not an inheritance, but we're so desperate for the the latest gadget, right? Very few things are actually an inheritance. But the relationships in standing in front of Paul, these are an inheritance. An inheritance of sanctified people. Verse 33, I have not coveted anyone's Silver or gold clothing. Can I tell you something? That's quite a feat. Good on Paul. Paul's motivation was not about money. It was not about fine clothing. Paul did not covet the receiving a materialistic gain. Verse 34. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Paul's hands were not looking for a handout. Instead, Paul's hands did what? Paul's hands worked. Paul's hands supplied. And he supplied his own needs so that others didn't always have to supply his needs. He supplied his own needs. He did his own work for his own needs, but also the needs of his companions. The needs of his friends. 
I would say that the church world needs a little bit more of the Apostle Paul in this day and age, don't you think? Acts 20, verse 35. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's break this down for a little bit. In everything I did, I showed you. These seven words could preach you a whole nother sermon today. These seven words could give you a greater life. If you want a great life, you must narrow everything you do down to showing one thing. I'm going to say that one more time. If you want a greater life, you need to take all the distractions in this world, push them aside, and narrow the focus of your life down to one thing. He says, in everything I did, I showed you. Just a singular thing. I'm going to tell you, you want to change your marriage. Everything you do, try to show your wife one thing. And then make that thing the best thing. And if you do that, my goodness, that's a marriage. You want to make your parenting really uh, an inheritance? Make, shake off all the other things and bring everything down to one singular focus of something that's worthwhile and make sure your kids get it every day, that they hear it every day, that they receive it every day. Oh, now you're talking about a great life. You see, there's people all over the place that have a whole bunch of stuff and a whole bunch of businesses and a whole bunch of friends and a whole bunch of houses and a whole bunch of cars and a whole bunch of success and they're miserable. And, and their children hate them. And they're on their fifth marriage. What's going on? Well, they've got a bunch of stuff. But greatness is found in pushing aside all the other things for a priority of one thing. And in everything I did, I showed you. Seven words. We do a lot of stuff for a lot of reasons, and achieve mediocre results. A lot of stuff, for a lot of reasons, and it's just mediocre at best. Greatness is doing everything for one reason. Everything for one reason. You find a reason and then do everything that matches up with that reason. And if it's not anything that matches up with that reason, then you don't do it. I would tell you that the greatness that you're after, your drug addiction, you need to lay to the side because it will not bring you to your greatness. That your anger and your bitterness and your unforgiveness, you need to throw that to the side because that is not going to bring you the result. So do everything that brings you to that result. Don't you think Jesus Christ is is that result that you need? And isn't he also the thing you want to add to your life to achieve that one thing? I would tell you yes. I would tell you, yes, and in everything I did, I showed you. He continues, that by this kind of hard work, if you can, just keep that verse up there, because we're, we're hanging out there. 
by this kind of, what are the two words? Hard work. An old show, it's called Dobie Gillis. There was a guy named Maynard G. Krebs, and the dirtiest word of all the dirty words was the word work. And he would always say it just like that, work. Go ahead and somebody say that, like Maynard G. Krebs. Here we go. Paul calls it hard work. Listen, child of God, somewhere along the way, someone told us it was supposed to be easy. We thought it should be easy, right? Now that we surrendered our life to the Lord, now we're on easy street, right? We're on our way to heaven. It's so easy. Yeah, right? Someone told us that God was going to do all the hard work and that it was going to be easy for us. Now it's going to be easy for you. God's going to do all the hard work. And Paul tells us that that is not true. It's not true. Dad and mom raising children in this deceitful, evil, violent world is not easy work. It's supposed to be hard. If you feel like it's hard, good. Keep going. It's supposed to be difficult. Husband and wife clinging to each other in a seductive culture that preaches to us that it is okay to give into every lust that we may desire. That's not easy work to cling to each other in a world like that. Walking with each other in forgiveness is hard work. Trying to balance moral purity and success on the job while it seems that dishonesty is the only real way to get ahead, that's not easy work. Doing what is right is difficult. Planting a church is not easy work. Doing ministry is not easy work. Being a light in darkness is not easy. Standing up for your faith is not easy. In a world that seems to not only run away from God, but to demonize everyone and everything associated with God, it is not easy work. It's not easy to say, I believe in Jesus. I remember there was one such school shooting. Columbine, where the shooter walked right up to a young lady and asked her, do you believe in God? And her last words were, I believe in God. Young lady, that was not easy, but I am so proud of you and I am honored by your testimony today. She gave her life and it wasn't easy. I believe his word. It's not easy to say that in a world that looks at you and says, oh, you believe that. Yes, I do. I do believe that. I believe his promises. I believe in heaven. I believe in the resurrection. Jesus himself taught us that it would not be easy, but it would actually be difficult. When the whole world is running towards sin, greed, and pride, it is hard work to say to your family, we are not going that direction. We are going to go into a different direction. Have you ever stood in the middle of a river? Have you ever stood into the pounding waves of the ocean? 
Have you ever tried to stand against the force of water? Before you know, it has carried you downstream. It is hard to push up against that stream. That is not easy work. What is easy is going the direction of the flow. What's easy is going with the culture. What's easy is to be sinful and to be greedy and to be hateful in this world. What is easy is to curse the name of Jesus. That's what is easy. What is hard is to say, I love the name of Jesus. He saved me and I owe him everything. (laughs) Friends, that's what's hard. That's what's difficult. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, next words, he says, we must help ourselves. Is that what he says? We must help our political party. We must help those that agree with us. Those that look like us. What does it say? Somebody help me. We must help the weak. Oh, in a world that often despises the weak, judges the weak, ridicules the weak, ignores the weak. Paul says, help the Weak. Got a question for you. Who is that weak person you're supposed to do hard work for in order to help them? That's where the hard work is. You see, Paul's got it totally backwards to to our culture. Because you do all the hard work for your own gain. You do all the hard work for your own family. You do all the hard work for, for your own little kingdom here on earth. He's saying, no, do the hard work. For the weak. But, but the weak can't help me. But the weak, I'm, how am I going to borrow money from the poor? You want me to help the poor? How am I going to borrow money from the, from the poor? How am I going to get style points and popularity points from the unpopular? The weak, right? He says, do hard work to help the weak. Who is that weak person that you are supposed to be doing hard work in order to help them? Has it been a long time since you've done hard work? Has it been a while since you've done hard work, not for yourself, but for someone else who is weak? Warning, the following teaching might cause anger. You've been warned. Blame it on Marshall. He wrote this part. What if the person who is causing you grief is the weak person? What if the person who is causing you so much grief and trouble is the weak person? Consider it. What if the reason they cussed you out was not because they were strong, but because they were weak? What if the reason they betrayed you was not because they were strong, but because they were weak? What if the reason the addict keeps taking the drugs is not because they are strong, but because they are weak? What if you stop viewing your enemy as someone strong and to be feared, but as someone who is weak and to be pitied and then to be given grace? 
in everything I did. I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Mm. Redemption Church, what if everything we did, everything, we got rid of all the distractions, got all the things that don't really matter, what if everything we did was to do hard work for the weak? What would that look like for our church to live such a way? What would it look like for your family to do everything by hard work to find somebody who's weak? Go help them. What does that look like you for you personally? For your church, for your family, for you personally? What does that look like? Reading it one more time, verse 35. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In everything we do, All the hard work, all the help we give to the weak, remembering. Just breaking it down, looking at these words. In everything we do, all the hard work, all the help we give to the weak, and then remembering. There's a lot of people who've gone out to change the world, but in their quest to change the world, they forgot, (laughs) they did not remember the cause that sent them out in the first place to change the world. They went out to change the world, and sure enough, they changed the world, but they they were corrupted along the way. Now, they don't even remember the things that sent them out in the first place. Constantly remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said. And Paul quotes Jesus here. Somebody... Let's say that quote out loud. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, this quote is not actually found in any of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Not found in there. Paul gives us a quote from Jesus that no one else seems to give. This quote. And some people are bothered by this. I went through a little phase in my life. I went, oh, I don't know. Should I be bothered by this? I don't know. And if you're, if you're like, I don't know if I should be bothered by this. Let me say, yeah. Talk about it. Cool. Don't be worried. But I thought this at one point in my life. Did Paul make up a quote about Jesus? That would be so easy to preach. You could just make up what Jesus said at every moment. I don't recommend doing that. I'm pretty sure Paul didn't do that. Some of y'all are nervous. I was joking. I want to tell you it shouldn't bother you because we know that Jesus spoke to Paul directly. Jesus and Paul spoke directly. In Acts 9, in the middle of the desert, a blinded Paul looks up and says, 
to a bright light. Who are you, Lord? And in your Bible, you will see these red letters show up in Acts chapter 9. Most of the time, your red letters are found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Jesus shows up on the pages of Acts chapter 9, decades after the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension. And these red words appear in your Bible. They say, I am Jesus whom you persecute. What a shocking moment for Paul. Paul received the word of Jesus, a Jesus who had been crucified, resurrected, and ascended. He now spoke to Paul. And this same Jesus may have told Paul, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I'm totally secure with that. This same Jesus, he still speaks. There are still red letters going on inside your world today. The Lord Jesus wants to speak to you. Just because they aren't written on a page does not mean he has not spoken directly to your heart. I love you. When he tells you that, go ahead and color it red, baby. The Lord Jesus is telling you, I love you. And you can believe it. The same Jesus, he still speaks. Do you want Jesus to speak to you today? Lord Jesus, we want you to speak. Speak however you want to speak. Speak audibly. Speak in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, in our spirits. Lord, speak by the word. Speak by the spirit. Speak however you want to speak. Lord, everyone say amen on that. When Jesus would speak to Paul, Paul would give the message to others. And so we have this quote of Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. This message is the opposite of everything our culture preaches. The message of materialism, greed, and corruption is that it is more blessed to receive than to give. That only makes sense. But I want to tell you today that the greater, about the greater reward of giving Jesus tells us there is a greater reward in giving than in receiving. On Christmas morning, when the kids are opening those gifts, it can be quite a sight. Raise your hand if you've ever seen any of that. Uh, I actually have to tell my kids to calm down because they get so insane. It's crazy. They, They froth at the mouth. It's actually scary. That excitement over the toy just beyond the wrapping paper, that excitement is short-lived because they rip right past that paper. The joy of receiving the gift is actually short-lived. There's so much effort that goes in to this moment, but the moment is short-lived. Too often, the toy itself is short-lived. Toys break. Parts are lost. By the way, warning to anyone out there that gives my children a gift with thousands of parts in it. There's a special place for you in judgment. I'm just going to say. It's a special place. My goodness. (laughs) Receiving the gift is short-lived, but just watch the parents who gave the gift. Just watch what they do. The parents make sure not to miss the moment 
where the parent where the gift is given. They make sure to position themselves so they can see the gift and so they can see the recipient. They want to see that face. And and a good parent, a veteran parent knows how to have that camera out ready to take the picture. And guess who has an equally wonderful smile as the child opening the gift? It is the parent who gave the gift. Parents, I know you can remember giving a gift. You can even remember giving gifts that your children can no longer remember receiving. You could list them and you go, they, I received them. And you, yes, you did. I remember it. Absolutely. Why is this? This is because giving is a greater reward than receiving. Jesus teaches us about giving. The one who gave everything, he teaches us about giving, the one who still gives us grace today, the one who uh, gives us forgiveness still today, the one who gives us his spirit, he gives us all good things. He still teaches us about giving. Jesus teaches us about giving in the Gospels also. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use in giving... It will be measured to you. Give and it shall be given to you. This scripture has caused many to say you can't outgive the Lord. Because when you give, Jesus makes sure that it is given back to you. This is yet another reason why it is more blessed to give than to receive. The supernatural law of sowing And reaping comes into play here. You reap what you sow. And when you sow giving, God causes others to give to you so that you reap giving. But when you are receiving giving, we call that blessing. God is able to turn the sowing of giving into the harvest of blessing. And that is backwards from how it works in the natural. Because anytime I pull out my wallet and I give something, I have less in my wallet. I have less in my bank account. Anytime I give more of my time, I have less of my time. Anytime I give more of my energy, I naturally have less of it. But there is a supernatural law that says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And God has a way of turning things around so that what you give is only a beginning of what you are about to receive. In the natural, giving would cause you to lose, to have less in your supply. But God unlocked, but giving unlocks God's supply. His supply is always greater than our supply. When you give a dollar, you have one less dollar in your wallet. That is one net loss of a dollar. But when you give, it opens up God's wallet. And his supernatural law says it will never, it will not ever be a net loss for you when you give. There is a greater blessing in giving. We want greater. There is nothing wrong with wanting greater in your life. But what if the way for us to receive greater is through giving? What if God not only wants us to receive, 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 but it also, he also wants us to give? 
There is a body of water. It's called the Dead Sea. Raise your hand if you heard of the Dead Sea. In Scripture, it's called the Salt Sea. In Israel, there is a great depressed spot. The only spot deeper on the planet is the Marianas Trench. This spot where the Dead Sea is in Israel is the second greatest depth in our entire planet. This depressed area in Israel, the second deepest place on the planet, it collects water. Water naturally flows to the deepest part. All the water that flows into the Jordan River ends up flowing into this deep spot and it ends up forming the Red Sea. The Dead Sea, the Dead Sea, not the Red Sea. The Dead Sea receives all of this water. It's constantly receiving. The Dead Sea receives, it receives. But no water ever flows from the Dead Sea. All this sea does is receive. It never gives. And because the Dead Sea only receives, it has collected so much salt that nothing can live in it. Plants can't survive in it. Fish can't survive in it. It is a dead sea. God teaches us through the Dead Sea in Israel that if we only receive, we die. It is through the act of receiving and giving that we become fresh water, conductive, conducive for life. Not just in the receiving, but in the receiving and the giving. What if the greater life you desire is not waiting on you to receive a promotion? Not waiting on you to receive a new car or to receive that good news? What if the greater life you desire is waiting on you to give, thereby allowing blessing to flow through you and from you? Luke 6.38 says, Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Not just money. See, Usually when we talk about this verse, we talk about money so often. This is not just money. Money is not the only thing you can give. You can give time. You can give affection. You can give effort. You can give a listening ear. You can give heart. You can give your friendship. And give that thing. And it will be given to you. If there's something in your life, you're just saying, I'm just not receiving any of that. Take a look. Are you giving that? You giving those things? No one seems to be giving me these things. Well, are you giving these things? Because life comes not just in the receiving, but also in the giving. Given it will be given, and the measure you use in giving will be measured back to you. It is a promise from God's word. We're drawing to a close. I want us to just read Acts 20, 32 again. Together Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed 
to give than to receive. Verse 36. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Three years, Paul had been in Ephesus. Ephesus was changed by how Paul gave of himself. If you had to narrow all that he did in those three years in Ephesus down to one word, wouldn't it be giving? Gave. Everything he did, everything he taught, all of his actions was giving. Redemption Church, do not tell me you want to change this metroplex if you are not willing to be defined in the same way by our giving. Do not tell me you want to change this metroplex if we only seek to receive. Paul's gift impacted Ephesus so much. Remember it said that they knelt and prayed together for the last time. They didn't say, see ya. So many interactions like that. You ever try to have like a moment with someone and you're like, guys, I'm, I'm going away. I've got to go to the store. Kids, it's Christmas time. I got to go to the store and there's just no telling what's going to happen. And the kids are just playing video games like, bye, dad. This is my life. This is my life. But man, you've had, you've had these moments we try to have, guys, I got to go. And they're like, okay, see ya. Thank you so much for all you've done for me. I said, okay, cool. Yep. That didn't happen here. Their hearts met. And they ended up kneeling and praying with Paul for the last time. They ended up giving their prayers to Paul. They all wept and they gave their tears. They did not even withhold the affection of a kiss. They gave it all. They gave every bit of it. They gave it to Paul in this moment. If they only have this moment, they're going to give everything in this moment. And they grieved over not seeing his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. And this is something I've really never been impacted by before. This, this week, it really impacted me. Ultimately, the church in Ephesus had to give Paul back to God. They had received Paul, but now they had to give Paul back to God. God had somewhere to take Paul. And so they had received. Now, although they wanted to hold on to him, they gave him back to God. I want you to get this. They did not lose Paul. They gave Paul. Listen to these words. They did not lose Paul. They gave Paul. When you learn the greater reward of giving in God's kingdom, whatever you give is never a loss. It's a gift. It is given When you give a dollar, it is not a lost dollar. It is a gift. When you give an hour, you didn't lose an hour. You gave an hour. 
And I know I'm speaking to people who have lost people. You've lost people. Within the last few years, you've experienced the loss of a loved one. I want to talk to you for one moment. What if you stop viewing it as losing a loved one? What if we viewed it as giving them back to God? And I gave them back to God. I didn't want to. I wanted to hold on to them. But I gave them back to God. They're yours, Lord. I know you'll take good care of them. When you give, God's supernatural law declares it is not a net loss, but it is a net gain. Oh, the gain of surrendering a sanctified person into the hands of Jesus. In this moment, the the elders at Ephesus will no longer be able to see Paul, take care of Paul, uh, make sure he's okay. No, they have to just surrender that. They don't know what what lies on the other side of this ship ride. And nor does Paul have any control over what's going on in Ephesus. He's going to have to surrender all of that work, all of those people, all of his inheritance. Back over to the Lord. But none of them lost anything. They all gave. Maybe. Maybe you need to give. Something. Today. You've been acting like it's a loss. In these final moments. Can you get your heart to a place where it says. Lord it's not really losing. It is me. Giving. I surrender to that. Even. Though I'm not wild about it, I surrender and I give. Maybe you need to give that loved one to the Lord today. You've been walking in loss for too long. It is time for you to see the net gain of giving. You received that loved one. You received them, didn't you? Now give them. One of my favorite verses on giving, Jesus says, Matthew 10, 8. Freely you have received, freely give, freely you received them, now freely give them, and it says that they walked with Paul to that ship, and they gave him. what if you stopped worrying about the net loss, and the net gain, and allowed God to just worry about that, I'm going to just give it And let you take care of all that. What if you just focused on having the proper motivation in your heart. Of receiving freely and giving freely. What if you made that your motivation. God I received this freely. And so now I turn around and I give it freely. These altars they're open right now. For more information about redemption. Look us up online at redemption-church.com We want to hear from you. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.